We have to understand Sidney Portier's journey to appreciate his perspective on progress. Welcome to On My Walk, the reading podcast that helps you capture reading's aha moments and apply them to your life and leadership. Progress, writes Sidney Portier, then and now comes from the collusion of powerful forces within the hearts of those who strive for it. Now, this is an interesting line, but for me, it was an aha moment when taken in the context of his story, which he describes so interestingly and narrates so brilliantly in his book, The Measure of a Man, A Spiritual Autobiography. A little backdrop. Sidney Portier wrote this autobiography in 2000. At that time, he was 72. Today, he's 92 and still kicking. Portier grew up on Cat Island in the Bahamas. Now, that got my attention because I visited Cat Island having friends who live there. And it's a tiny little strip of land in the North Atlantic. And it's not too hard to imagine what it was like before the expensive oceanfront homes were built, when it was rugged and barren and not a paved road on the entire island, just the boyhood home of a poor guy who could wander all day by himself. Listen to part of his description. He writes, I'm on the porch of our little house on Cat Island in the Bahamas. It's the end of the day and evening is coming on, turning the sky and the sea to the west of us a bright burnt orange, and the sky and the sea to the east of us a cool blue that deepens to purple and then to black. In the gathering darkness, in the coolness of our porch, my mother and father sit and fan the smoke from the green palm leaves they're burning to shoo away the mosquitoes and the sandflies. And as she did so often when I was small, my sister Teddy takes me in her arms to rock me to sleep. And while she's rocking me in her arms, she too is fanning the smoke that comes from the big pot of green leaves being burned. And she fans the smoke around me as I try to go to sleep in her arms. That's the way the evenings were on Cat Island. Now, Portier grew up poor in a home with no running water and no inside toilet and no bathtub. And it's the poverty of Cat Island and the difficulty of his father making ends meet or his mother washing clothes in a pond. It's the challenge of Sidney Portier making his way with his family to Nassau in search of a little better version of poverty. It's the enduring when in the early 40s, when he was just a teenager, he went alone to Miami, which was then very much Jim Crow South, and then to endure the paucity of poverty and the indignity of racism and the discrimination and the constant slight of being a black actor in a white man's world that makes his statement about progress so meaningful to me, which is why I think as well Sidney Portier says about those in the film industry who came before him, who beat out a tiny little path he walked on so he could do the same for folks like Denzel Washington and Wesley Snipes and Angela Bassett and Will Smith and Samuel L. Jackson and Morgan Freeman. And then he writes this. So I look back 
on those who came before me, and I owe them a debt, you know. Yes, sometimes I squirmed when I watched what they had to do, but I knew when I came on the scene how painful it had to have been for them sometimes. You know, Portier and a couple of other black actors represented a significant departure from the norm for actors who were black in that time. He writes this in his book, Black actors earning as much as a middle-class living amounted to, get this, less than 1% of all black actors in the profession. Which was to say, his was not an easy path. At one point in the book, he describes how, while living in Miami as a 16-year-old, how he had to go to the dry cleaners to get some clothes because he was leaving the next day. So he said, I went to the dry cleaners in our part of town to get my clothes, but they weren't ready. So he was told he could go to the other side of town where the dry cleaning plant was in order to pick up his clothes, which he did by bus. But when they got there, his clothes still were not ready. And then when he finally arrives and goes through all that rigmarole, the buses were no longer running to take him back to his side of town. So the only thing he could hope to do was hitchhike back to put out his thumb whenever he saw a car coming that looked like it had black occupants. So he's walking down the street and he spots a car and he thinks it's occupied by blacks and it's not. It's an unmarked police car. Now remember Jim Crow South and the police officers pull up alongside him and they say, these are his words, see that alley over there boy? Get your ass up in there now. And after threatening his life with a gun, the police officers told him, you're just going to have to walk back 50 blocks back home. And don't you ever turn around once, because if you even turn around one time to look, we're going to shoot you. And they followed him for 50 blocks. Now I want to ask you, what was he going to do with that kind of prejudice? What was he going to do with his anger, his shame, his internal conflict? What was he going to do when the film studios asked him to sign a loyalty oath not to associate with people in the industry who were trying to make things better for blacks? What would he do when he was asked to play a part that cast him in the role of a man, a black man, the screenwriters wanted him to be easy, compliant, willing to go along? But that's not who he was, strong, independent, not willing to bend his character or his principles. Remember what Portier wrote? Progress, then and now, comes from the collusion of powerful forces within the hearts of those who strive for it. And all that was at play when Portier was asked to play the part of a black detective in the film In the Heat of the Night. Listen to this. That was the kind of world I was asked to re-enter when Walter Mirisch came to see me about playing the part of a Philadelphia police detective accidentally pulled into a murder investigation in a small town in the Deep South. When I looked over the script that became In the Heat of the Night, my primary issue was the character of a local businessman who had enormous influence in the life of that town. At one point, the character I played, Detective Tibbs, found it necessary to question this man, 
The local police chief, played by Rod Steiger, accompanied me, and we drove up to the mansion on a hill. I was very respectful during our conversation, but in time I had to ask the inevitable question. Where were you on the night of the murder? And he hauled off and slapped me. Obviously, as far as he was concerned, I had stepped over the line in suggesting the possibility that he could be in any way clouded by suspicion. So he whacked me across the face. In the original script, I looked at him with great disdain and, wrapped in my strong ideals, walked out. That could have happened with another actor playing that part, but it couldn't happen with me. I could too easily remember that Miami night with the gun pointed at my forehead, that fifty-block walk with the guffawing cops in the patrol car behind me. I told the director that the script needed to be changed. He said, Well, what do you suggest? I said, I'll tell you what I'll insist upon. I said to Walter, This gentleman of the Old South is acting out of his tradition when his honor demands that he whack me across the face. And I said, You want a moment? You want a really wonderful, impressive moment on the screen? Shoot this scene so that without a nanosecond of hesitation, I whack him right back across the face with a backhand slap. Walter said, I like it. It turned out to be a very, very dramatic moment in the film. Progress, then and now, comes from the collusion of powerful forces within the hearts of those who strive for it. Recently, I've watched two of our sons who've been caught, as we all are, in the whirlwind of powerful forces at work. Now, both their circumstances are turning out well, but it was not apart from the collusion of powerful forces at work within their hearts. Ann Sullivan, the teacher who transformed the life of Helen Keller, you know, the pupil who was once deaf and blind and mute, Ann Sullivan said this, People seldom see the halting and painful steps by which the most insignificant success is achieved. And I think that's just another way of saying what Sidney Portier said, progress then and now comes from the collusion of powerful forces within the hearts of those who strive for it. You see, we look at Sidney Portier and we see the first African-American to win an Oscar, which he did for the Lilies of the Field, but we don't see all that he endured, suffered, fought for, persevered in order to get there. But that goes for everyone we see, black or white. And perhaps that's why Solomon wrote, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy, Proverbs 14.10. And maybe that's part of the reason that Paul and the writer of Hebrews are always telling us, encourage one another. And, and that's why God invites us to rest in the fact that he knows and he cares and he helps. And that's why the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's why we're exhorted to get up and get going. Paul says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Progress then and now 
comes from the collusion of powerful forces within the hearts of those who strive for it. I I need to remember that when considering the tough times in my own life and when encouraging others caught in the grip of those powerful forces themselves. And I remember this. Greater is he who is in me, greater is he who is in me than any other powerful force in my life. And that's my thought on my walk with Sidney Portier and the measure of a man, a spiritual autobiography. The question is, of course, what will you do with that thought in your own life? And how can you use it to help another along your walk through life today? As I wrap things up today, I want to encourage you to stop by OnMyWalk.com and you can read my review of Sidney Portier's work. And then to let you know, I'm on to another book and the book I'm on to is called Naked Statistics. Interesting title by a guy by the name of Charles Whelan, an incredibly good sense of humor. And he takes something very complicated and makes it amazingly simple. And I'll be sharing a little bit of that in the days ahead. 